Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Bishop Heather Shea of the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. Today's hosts for the Open Heart Conversation is Reverend Dr. Jose Roman and Reverend Rob Way. In this episode, we will explore the Baha'i faith with author Jay Tyson. Thank you for joining us. How did you become a member of the Baha'i faith? Well, uh, as I was growing up in the Presbyterian Church, I listened, of course, to the stories of the early messengers of God. You know, you have the story of uh, Noah and the story of Abraham, the story of Moses and then Jesus. But I always wondered why it seemed like God stopped sending messengers to us 2,000 years ago. Uh, I was always curious about that, and uh, why didn't he speak to us again? So, when I was a member of the youth group, uh, our minister felt that we should know about other religions, and in connection with that, he took us to uh, some of the other uh, houses of worship in the Detroit area, and it so happened that a member of the Baha'i faith uh, had contacted the ministers in the area, and offered to serve as a speaker, uh, so he invited the Baha'i to speak, and uh, I learned from him that, uh, yes, there was certainly uh, one more recent messenger that history knows about, that, of course, is Muhammad. We didn't learn much about Muhammad uh, where I was growing up, uh, but this person also explained that in the 1800s, another messenger had appeared, and uh, his name was Baha'u'llah. So, I started to uh, do some research on it, uh, attended some of their meetings and learned about it. Um, and it just made a lot of sense. I, I knew from uh, the Bible readings that Jesus had spoken that uh, he would come again sometime in the future, but that he would come with a new name. So I was somewhat prepared for the idea that uh, his return might be uh, not uh, a physical or literal return but the return of the same spirit in a new human form. Uh, so that's uh, how my uh, studies of the Baha'i faith began and uh, carried on from there until I decided to become a Baha'i and uh, embrace not only Christianity, but uh, the other religions of the world. So, Jay, what, what does the, the word Baha'i mean? So Baha'i is... Um, word that means the all-glorious, or more exactly means of the glory. Uh, The glory refers to the glory of God, and that was a title uh, for Mirza Hussein Ali, who is known to history as Baha'u'llah. Baha means glory, Ullah is of God. Jay, one of the um, 
the most interesting elements to many of the world's enduring uh, spiritual traditions is, in fact, as you've said, um, these men and women who are voices, if you will, of the divine. Um, um, and there's all kinds of names, everything from saviors to prophets to messengers. Um, and certainly the Baha'i faith um, contains um, its own, uh, if you will, messengers and teachers. And one of, one of these is the Bab. Tell us a little bit about who was the Bab and in fact, what does the Bab mean? Okay, the, the name Bab is an Arabic word for gate, and uh, he is uh, kind of the forerunner of the Baha'i faith. He appeared uh, in 1844, uh, a little bit like John the Baptist, except that Baha'is understand that he was a full messenger of God, uh, like the others, but had a special short-duration mission, which was to prepare the people for the coming of Baha'u'llah. Um, <clears throat> and um, we have then really two messengers in the Baha'i faith, the Bab and Baha'u'llah. Uh, the followers of the Bab, uh, they, you know, this was in Iran at the time of very, very uh, conservative, uh, religiously conservative part of the world, uh, a lot of resistance to any change. And so his coming kind of uh, broke the mold, and uh, there were over 100,000 followers in Iran. The Bab himself was executed because of his teachings, died uh, in a firing squad. Um, and uh, then a, few, a couple of years after that, the Holy Spirit started to flow through Baha'u'llah, and the revelations continued through him. So we think of the Bob as the forerunner. Um, we have twin messengers of God. And uh, we also celebrate the twin birthdays because uh, it so happens that the Bob was born on the first day of the uh, lunar year. And Baha'u'llah was born two years later on the second day. So one of the Baha'i holy days is that we celebrate their two birthdays together. So to that end, are there any other uh, major figures or teachers of the Baha'i faith? So, after, or as Baha'u'llah was getting to the end of his life, he wrote his will and testament, and he explained that all of the followers should turn for any questions, uh, they should turn to the authority of Baha'u'llah's son, Abdu'l-Baha. Abdu'l-Baha had been with Baha'u'llah during his imprisonments and exiles from 1852 until 1892. So for 40 years, Abdu'l-Baha had uh, plenty of opportunity, really exposure to everything that was going on. Um, and he was uh, well equipped to uh, lead the Baha'i faith after Baha'u'llah's ascension. Uh, Abdu'l-Baha continued to teach. He, he uh, started to spread the Baha'i faith in the West. He continued until 1921, and in his will and testament, he appointed his grandson, Shoghi Effendi, as the guardian of the Baha'i faith. Now, Baha'u'llah and Abdu'l-Baha and Shoghi Effendi, all three of them, uh, wrote of the establishment of the Universal House of Justice, which would be an elected body, elected by the Baha'is of the world, um, and 
So they worked on spreading the Baha'i faith until uh, that international election could take place. That, that finally took place in 1963 for the first time. And ever since 1963, the Baha'is of the world have been guided by the decisions of the Universal House of Justice. So these are the four uh, sources of authority, you can say, and because it's been so clear in each transition, um, the Baha'i faith has managed to remain one united religion. We don't have divisions or you know, factions within the Baha'i faith. The transitions have always been very clear. Jay, one of the um, features of many of the enduring uh, spiritual traditions is either a written or oral tradition. Uh, written scriptures or oral tradition uh, that um, satisfy the, uh, the requirements of written scripture. And that's certainly true of the Baha'i faith. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your um, sacred scripture? That, and please correct my, my pronunciation. I think, I think it's called the Kitab-i-Akedas or the Akedas. Uh, Kitab-i-Akdas is how it's pronounced. Kitab-i-Akdas. Yes, the Q is like a K. And Kitab means book. So Kitabi Akdas uh, is the book of Baha'i laws. Um, in regard to laws, I guess one could say it is the central book, but there are many more subjects besides laws that one finds in the Baha'i revelation. Uh, so <clears throat> most religions have several books, and sometimes they're compiled into a single volume, such as the Bible. You know, the Bible is not actually one book. It's several books all compiled together. Uh, in the same way, there are many books in the Baha'i faith. Uh, Baha'u'llah's ministry lasted for 40 years, so he had, you know, a long opportunity to write books and letters. Uh, it's very voluminous, and uh, we have not ever attempted to compile that into a single volume. It would be too large, I think, to manage. Uh, <clears throat> So we, these, these individual books, uh, Kitabi Akdas, uh, like you say, is the book of Baha'i laws. Um, <clears throat> but we have, uh, for instance, I think one of the leading books on Baha'i theology is called the Kitabi Igan, or the Book of Certitude, in which Baha'u'llah explains the relationship between his revelation and the revelations of the past, particularly uh, the revelations to Muhammad and to Jesus uh, and and to the other messengers uh, that uh, are more Western, I guess you could say. <clears throat> uh, so that's the, the Book of Certitude. Um, another very famous book that uh, many people may have come across is something called The Hidden Words. This is a series of uh, spiritual proverbs that uh, are, are provide useful guidance and are regarded as uh, central to Baha'i ethics. Um, one of the books called The Seven Valleys, which is a book about the journey of the soul uh, through seven different stages of spiritual growth. Uh, so that's considered one of the mystical books of the Baha'i faith. Baha'u'llah also wrote to the kings and leaders of his time, uh, addressing aspects of his revelation to them. Uh, we have a volume called The Summons of the Lord of Hosts, and this is a compilation of the letters that he wrote to the kings and leaders of religion uh, during his lifetime. Uh, there are many more books beside that, but those are a few of the major ones. 
Um, let's begin then exploring what some of the um, those beliefs are. What it, what really was, if you will, the revelation that one finds in these sacred scriptures. Um, and let's begin really, if you will, at the very beginning. What is in fact the Baha'i concept or understanding of God? We understand God as being unknowable in his essence and yet ever present in our lives. And we understand him through his qualities. So analogy that's often given is like the rays, uh, like the sunshine. You know, when we talk about, we know the sunshine, we know the heat of the sun, we know the light of the sun. Uh, you don't ever go up to the sun and grab a piece of it and, and bring it home or anything like that. That would be like the essence. But we do know the qualities. So in the same way, God uh, shines spiritual qualities on us um, and it is part of our purpose in life to learn how to reflect those qualities into this world. Can, can uh, you speak a little bit about what, what are some of those qualities of God? For example, you keep using the phrase him, he. Is God male? Is God female? Uh, what are the qualities of God that you've come to understand or appreciate um, as you've explored and entered into the Baha'i faith? Yeah, God is neither male nor female. It's one of the unfortunate things about the English language is that we don't really have a personal neutral pronoun. I mean, we can sometimes we do speak of God as it, but that sounds rather impersonal. Um, so generally, the pronoun that's used in English is he. However, in the original Persian and Arabic, they don't have he or she in that sense. So they don't have that problem. It's mostly a problem of the English language that, that tends to drive us into that kind of thinking, unfortunately. Um, I mean, God is the uh, creator, um, the quality of creation, particularly the creation of life is uh, often associated with the female side of humanity. Um, but God is also the educator um, and um, sometimes the discipliner. So that's sometimes associated with the male side of humanity. Um, you know, we, we can't say that God is either one or the other. He has all aspects. Uh, he, she, it, whatever you'd like to say. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, we, we know him uh, or her through the qualities, and we try to reflect those qualities in our lives. That is really one of the main goals of life, is to better and better reflect the qualities that he has taught us. What, tell me a little bit about your, your experience or your relationship to the divine as you understand it. Uh, well, it's, um, I think, through prayer and meditation. Uh, we are asked to say prayers every day. We're uh, recommended to uh, have some prayer and meditation in the morning and the evening, uh, as well as midday. Uh, <clears throat> And, um, you know, prayer is talking to God. Uh, meditation is listening for a response. Uh, you know, you, you oftentimes uh, a thought will come to your mind after prayer and meditation. Um, and I do think that uh, those thoughts come from beyond this world. So what are the three core assertions 
So um, if there's any uh, single word that should be associated with the Baha'i faith, it is unity. Um, we recognize the unity of God or the oneness of God. Um, and stemming directly from that is our recognition of religion as being essentially one. I mean, yes, we have different labels. You know, we talk about Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and so on. But we understand that as being one evolving message from God. So in that sense, uh, one religion, unity of religion. Also, the third uh, of these onenesses is the oneness of mankind. Uh, if you stop and think about it, with one creator necessarily means that one creator created every individual. And we have to live our lives in the knowledge that when we meet another human being, we are talking to a creation of God and uh, not disparage anyone uh, because that would be disrespectful to God, not only to that person. So, uh, yeah, the three onenesses, one God, one religion, and one mankind, and it leads to teachings such as the elimination of all kinds of prejudice, uh, not only religious prejudice, but also any racial or ethnic prejudices, elimination of national prejudice, age-based prejudice, caste-based prejudice in some parts of the world, or tribal-based prejudice uh, in other parts of the world, uh, gender-based prejudice is uh, oftentimes a problem that people have. So, you know, all of this is a matter of first and foremost, seeing a person as being a creation of God. And everything else is, you know, kind of the icing on the cake, the special details, but um, all those special details have to be seen in relationship to the, the center part that this person is a creation of God. Uh, and so from, from the central theme of unity, there are other uh, teachings that uh, come forth. Uh, the unity of mankind implies the, that it is time for us to unite the contending nations of the world. Uh, Baha'is look forward to a time when the national governments will form into some kind of a federation and uh, we will no longer need to worry about war between nations in the same way that we don't worry about war between the states in the United States. Uh, you have a, a federation here in the United States. We see the future as being a federation for the world. Uh, another aspect of unity is that we believe in the unity of science and religion, that uh, true science and true religion agree with each other. And that if you hold to a rigid literalist interpretation of religion, um, or if you hold to a materialistic view of science, it's going to drive apart the uh, understandings of religion and science. So we try to avoid those, uh, understand them, and work, work with them together. Um, and finally, another aspect of the unity is the equality of men and women. Um, that uh, pervades throughout the Baha'i teachings. So in, in light of these three onenesses, and I think you've already begun to, to speak to this, but what is in fact the fundamental purpose of human life as understood in Baha'i theology and philosophy? Uh, I would say that the fundamental purpose is to know God and to worship him and we worship him by reflecting his qualities into this world. 
you know, I mean, prayer, you know, typically you talk about worship God, people think, okay, you're, you're praying, something like that. But it's not just pious prayer. You've got to take those attitudes out to your day-to-day life. Um, we have uh, one of the teachings in the Baha'i faith is that work done in the spirit of service to humanity is worship. So you need to take the spiritual attitudes into your daily work life, into your daily family life, and uh, try to constantly reflect those attitudes uh, to those around you. And so I think it's also important to recognize that this is not only for the benefit of uh, life in this world, but it's also for our spiritual development in preparation for the next world. Uh, We believe as well that part of our purpose is to carry forward an ever-advancing civilization. So we see you know, civilization as uh, intended by God to be making progress toward greater degree of unity and better reflection of his qualities in the world. Uh, I think in Christianity, we speak about building the kingdom of heaven on earth. And this is what Baha'is are doing. Are there any commandments or ethics in Baha'i theology? Um, well, the first commandment is simply to recognize the messengers of God. And uh, Baha'u'llah says in the opening of uh, the Book of Laws, the second commandment is, uh, is to obey what the messengers have said. So, uh, I know sometimes uh, I've heard religious folks have a debate between whether um, it's a question of faith or works, you know, whether uh, faith is all you need or whether you need to do works or works alone is enough. Uh, Baha'u'llah makes it very clear that both are required and that neither is acceptable without the other. Uh, <clears throat> so um, as far as ethics, uh, we certainly believe in the golden rule. Um, there are, of, co- of course, laws uh, that are similar to those of past religions. We have uh, uh, prayer requirements. We have some fasting, a fasting period, uh, laws of marriage and burial, uh, giving to the poor. One of the interesting laws that I found out about the Baha'i faith is that um, when it comes to donating money, uh, money is accepted only from Baha'is. If you're not a Baha'i, you cannot make a donation to the Baha'i faith. So uh, you don't have to worry if you go into a Baha'i meeting or somebody's going to be passing the plate and asking for money and that sort of thing, because that's not going to happen. Um, just trying to think also of some new laws uh, for this age. Uh, one is the universal education of children, uh, although that was perhaps implicit in some of the previous religions. Uh, it's spelled out uh, in, in this age that all children must receive an education. And this, again, is for them to be able to grow spiritually and read um, the writings and understand their purpose in life. Um, so that's, that's a relatively new law as such. Another law that I, I don't think I've ever seen, at least not explicitly in past religions, is that we're forbidden to gossip or backbite. Um, so uh, that element of disunity has been uh, uh, obliterated by law in the Baha'i faith. So um, 
given the purpose of, of human life and given these um, ethical teachings, um, one, of, one of the great um, enduring truths of many of uh, the great enduring traditions, uh, wisdom traditions, is some understanding of what people would call the afterlife. So what, what is the Baha'i understanding of the afterlife? Is there, for example, such a thing as a soul, an individual human soul that survives the uh, death of the body? And what does life after life, if you will, what does that look like, if at all, if there's any mention of that in Baha'i theology? Yeah, yeah, there is certainly a, a lot of uh, discussion of that in Baha'i theology that uh, we, you know, in this world, uh, this is just the first stage uh, of our lives. And uh, after our bodies get old and pass away, our soul continues in the next world. Um, an analogy that's sometimes given is the analogy of the child in the mother's womb. In some sense, you could think of that as being the first world. And during those nine months, the child is preparing for life in this world. You know, it's growing arms and legs and ears and eyes and other organs that are perhaps not so useful in that nine-month world of the womb. But it needs to do that in order to prepare for life in this world. And in the same way, we need to develop our spiritual capacities in this world in order to be prepared for life in the next world. Um, so that that's maybe obvious to people of a religious background, but uh, maybe not, I don't know. I would say that um, one of the main differences between the Baha'i concept of the afterlife and uh, many of the previous religions is that um, Heaven and hell are regarded as uh, spiritual conditions of closeness to God or distance from God, but they are not two completely distinct uh, places that are forever separated from each other. Rather, there's a whole continuum of getting closer and closer to God um, through the efforts that we make, uh, particularly in this world, and through the prayers of others. So it's not like you're, you know, stuck in one position or the other forever. Uh, <clears throat> as I said, though, we do feel that it's important in this world to grow spiritually because some of the opportunities that we have to grow spiritually in this world will not occur in the next world. Just like the child in the mother's womb, you know, if the child decides not to grow its arms, it's still going to live in this world, but it's going to have a much more difficult time. So we need to take advantage of our opportunities to grow spiritually in this world while we have them, because some of those opportunities will not exist in the next world. I'm Bishop Heather Shea. We will return in a minute with Jay Tyson. Thank you for listening. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. We now return to our open heart conversation on the Baha'i Faith. So you answered my question about heaven and hell. Interesting. So that existence within your theology. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely exists, but not not two distinct places. Um, they are kind of two ends of a spectrum, I guess you could say. So <clears throat> let me, because um, you've already mentioned Christianity. Um, what what did the Baha'i faith teach concerning the person the person of Jesus Christ? Um, we believe, of course, that uh, <clears throat> he was a messenger of God. Um, Baha'u'llah, in his writings, says that he is exalted above the imaginations of anyone on earth. Um, so he was, you know, certainly uh, an exalted spiritual figure, more than we can imagine. Uh, a brilliant mirror who reflected the knowledge of God and the qualities of God into this world. And in reflecting those qualities, he laid the foundations for the great Christian civilization. Uh, he taught as much as could be taught to the disciples and followers uh, of that time. Of course, there were they had their own limitations. You may remember a quote where Jesus says, there are many things I have to tell you, but you could not bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you unto all truth. So we understand that as a reference to a future messenger, whether that be Muhammad or Baha'u'llah. Uh, this understanding that, you know, we, we kind of go through almost like grades in school. You don't try to teach calculus to somebody who's uh, in, in third grade or something like that. You have to go step by step. And so Jesus uh, taught wonderful teachings, spiritual teachings that, that laid this wonderful foundation, um, some of which... Uh, you know, are, are eternal, and some of which are particular for that age. Um, and it's because ages change, uh, and because we're able to understand more, that God sends new messengers from time to time. But to answer your question, yes, we regard Jesus uh, as being exalted above the imaginations of the peoples of the world. Uh, I think what might be a little bit different is that we also regard the founders of the other religions in the same light. Um, I, I guess maybe one way to understand it is that an animal cannot understand what it's like to be a human being. You know, I mean, yes, they would understand hunger and uh, a few things like that, but, uh, you know, animals, the whole concept of reading is something that uh, animals could not imagine. Uh, why, why we're staring at this print and, and, you know, getting meanings from this print and this sort of thing. We live in a, in a realm that is entirely different from that of the animal. Um, in the same way that they can't understand what it is like to be a human being, we cannot understand what it is like to be a messenger of God. Because these messengers are not just people who, you know, heard some, some words and some, some message um, they are a level of creation above uh, the human level. And um, the, they all understand, you know, the whole picture, but they limit what they teach according to the capacity of the people that they are teaching. You know, like, like a regular teacher in school. The teacher knows way, way more than the student, but the teacher is careful to uh, provide only what the student can understand at that time. Is it true that the Baha'i faith accepts Muhammad 
as a prophet of God and the Quran as the word of God? Uh, yes, that is true. Um, he was a messenger like Jesus. Uh, he, of course, came to a different people, and so the needs of those people were somewhat different. So there are some, um, some differences uh, in the teachings. Um, <clears throat> but a lot of the differences uh, come about from people's interpretations that uh, mm -hmm. seem to go in different directions rather than from the teachings themselves. Um, unlike the religions which preceded it, Muhammad had the opportunity to uh, review the things that he revealed. In other words, he himself was not literate, but others around him were. He would reveal things. Uh, the Quran is in a poetic form, so people would write down the poetry of the Quran, and then Muhammad would have it read back to him. And he could correct any errors that were made so that they could be sure that uh, this was the actual revelation. Uh, unfortunately, Jesus did not have that opportunity. Jesus' ministry, of course, was cut short by the, the crucifixion. Uh, and he didn't have people around him uh, in his immediate vicinity that wrote things down on the day that he revealed them. Uh, so the Quran has a kind of special place in religious literature. I believe it's the only historic example prior to the Baha'i faith, the only historic example where the revelation could be reviewed and authenticated by the messenger himself. Jay, um, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it, uh, you've alluded to this. Uh, in the Baha'i faith, um, it is understood that Moses, Abraham, Zoroaster, and also Buddha had, there, there was a divine nature to their teachings, a divine nature, if you will, to the, to the mission and to their work. Um, so that the Baha'i um, tradition in many ways honors the work, um, the spiritual work of these individuals. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And I would also add uh, Krishna to that list uh, with Hinduism. Um, <clears throat> So some of these messengers go back a little bit farther in history and the you know, historical certain, certainty of them is uh, uh, not perfect, but uh, yes, we regard Krishna, Buddha, Zoroaster uh, of the East, uh, Abraham, Moses, uh, Jesus, Muhammad of the West uh, as being earlier historic messengers of God. Now it's important also to understand that God did not leave alone the other peoples of the world. Um, God sent messengers, has, has sent messengers to all peoples. Uh, many of them, probably most of them, uh, appeared before we had written records. And so they wind up, their, their teachings wind up being part of the cultural mythology um, rather than scripture. Uh, but uh, if you go to, you know, do anthropological studies of the peoples, uh, the indigenous peoples of the world, you find that they're, they're always some kind of uh, uh, moral understanding, some understanding that uh, they didn't just uh, come into being uh, willy-nilly, but that they, there was a creator, um, some sense of uh, the golden rule or values, um, and these, we believe, if you were able to historically trace them back, 
you would find that they were inspired by a messenger that God had sent to those peoples. Um, anytime that there's a, uh, a burst of civilization, we believe that uh, there was a spiritual seed that started that growth and that blossoming. And that seed was the teachings of one of these early messengers whose names are, you know, have often been forgotten in, in history, or maybe they have a name, um, but they don't have, you know, written historical records. So, um, yeah, it's kind of uh, important to understand that God didn't forget anybody in the world. It's really interesting. My, my mother used to have a saying uh, that she used to say in Spanish, that God has not denied God's self to anyone in the world who sincerely sought God. And it sounds to me like the Baha'i faith uh, would have agreed with my mom. <laughs> yes, that, that I, I would say that's very accurate. <laughs> so what are the major practices of the Baha'i faith? Um, living the Baha'i life um, includes treating everyone with respect and kindness, uh, raising the next generation of children to live with an understanding of the spiritual reality, not just the material reality, uh, raising them with an understanding of the importance of carrying forward and ever, ever advancing civilization, as I mentioned. Um, on a more practical level, uh, we do get together uh, for community gatherings once every 19 days, which is according to the Baha'i calendar. Uh, the Baha'i calendar is kind of unique. It's made up of uh, 19 months per year, each month having 19 days. That comes to 361 days. And then we have four or five days in between a couple of the months to round out the calendar to a full solar year. Um, <clears throat> But we do have, instead of uh, like a church service every week, um, we have these gatherings. It's sometimes referred to as a Baha'i feast, not so much a, a physical feast of food, but a spiritual feast where we share readings and uh, uh, share community business, have some social portion. Uh, so that helps to, you know, it's, it's very much a community-oriented religion. Um, in addition to that, we have devotional gatherings, uh, discussion groups, and study classes, uh, all of those open to the public. So, um, you know, anybody is uh, welcome to participate, uh, can get in touch with the Baha'is and find the local community. Um, on the personal side, uh, I think I mentioned uh, daily prayer um, and a period of fasting. Uh, we have a period of 19 days in March during which uh, we fast during the daylight hours. Um, I know sometimes when I meet people, they say, wow, that's really something. Uh, most people don't uh, remember the fact that in Christianity, in early Christianity, um, the Lenten period was 40 days. And during that uh, 40 days, uh, that was for fasting. That was uh, a daytime fast. You didn't eat from sunrise to sunset. Um, and then the Islamic civilization came along, and in the Islamic law, uh, it was a lunar month. So the fasting period uh, went from 40 days, it went down to about 29 days. Uh, and now in the Baha'i faith, you find the fasting period is 19 days. So it's a little bit easier uh, in that context. Um, it's, uh, and it's always in March, so it's uh, not, not especially long days uh, like you would have if it was in June or something. 
Um, so those are a few of the, of the practices. Jay, um, one of the central elements of the enduring spiritual and religious traditions is, is the experience of community. Um, in the Christian tradition, there are churches, in the Islamic tradition, mosques, in the Jewish tradition, synagogues, places of worship where people can come and experience community and experience their faith within a community. Um, does the Baha'i faith have temples of worship? And if, they, if it does, what happens in those temples? What would a, what would a temple worship service in the Baha'i faith look like? So, um, yes, we do have uh, temples. We call them houses of worship. Um, at present, uh, only a few around the world. Uh, the one for North America, for instance, is in the uh, uh, northern suburb of Chicago, Wilmette, Illinois. Uh, <clears throat> and there's one now on each continent, and we're beginning to develop uh, national and local houses of worship. <clears throat> They have a distinct architectural feature. They're domed buildings. They have nine sides. Um, they will. They are the central spiritual focus for larger communities, and the intention is that there will be surrounding them um, several different um, institutions for uh, helping humanity, whether it's a hospice or schools or various. Uh, social benefits that uh, kind of are focused around the house of worship. Uh, <clears throat> so that's something that is gradually developing as the communities grow larger. In the meantime, for uh, many cities, we have a Baha'i Center, which can take a lot of different forms. Um, sometimes it's just an existing building that the local Baha'i community has purchased and uh, is using for its uh, general meetings. Um, and then in the smaller communities, uh, we meet in people's homes, much as the early Christians did 1,800 years ago, you know, when Christianity was young and they, they uh, were not uh, large enough to raise large buildings, um, they met in each other's homes. So uh, this religion is now, it's been about 200 years since the founders were born. Uh, similarly, in Christianity at about that stage, the communities were mostly meeting in each other's homes. Uh, so you'll, you know, if you contact the Baha'i community, uh, you could wind up going to any of these three. Uh, as to what happens in the temples, um, or the houses of worship, as we usually refer to them, um, they're open on a daily basis to the public, both for visitation and for prayer and meditation. Um, it's generally quiet inside. Uh, individual prayer and meditation happening, uh, not, not only for Baha'is, but for the public as well. Um, there are, from time to time, uh, in the houses of worship, there'll be a devotional uh, program of readings, which are drawn not only from the Baha'i scripture, but from the scriptures of the past religions. Uh, and then on Baha'i holy days, there'll be special services, um, in addition to readings for the services, we sometimes will have a cappella singing, that is singing without musical instruments, uh, is uh, encouraged in the Baha'i houses of worship. But there are no uh, rituals. I, I guess, uh, you know, sometimes people think of these uh, 
places as places where you have uh, various rituals, uh, you generally find that um, there's very little in the way of ritual in the Baha'i faith. So, um, you know, you, you won't really see that by going to a house of worship. Now, in a, to, to just expand on that, in Christianity, we have, you know, they have the Vatican, you know, in the Muslim traditions, there's Mecca. Um, is there a, a, a central temple or sacred place for the Baha'i faith? Well, yes, there's uh, historically uh, the, well, the Baha'i faith began in Persia uh, because of the persecution. The founder was exiled first to Baghdad and then to Constantinople. And then finally, he was sent to the prison city of Akka, which at the time was in Palestine. Uh, and the Baha'i World Center has grown up in the cities of Akka and across the bay in Haifa, uh, which, of course, later became the country of Israel. Uh, we don't have any direct relationship to Israel historically. It just happened that, uh, you know, the <laughs> things changed there while we were already there. The Baha'is have been in that part of the world since 1868. Um <clears throat> But the Baha'i uh, Spiritual Center is in or immediately outside of Akka, where Baha'u'llah's Baha uh, physical remains were buried after his ascension in 1892. Um, the Bab, uh, the forerunner, as I mentioned earlier, he was executed. His followers were able to recover his remains and hid them for many years. And in 1909, they were transported to the Holy Land, and they were interred on Mount Carmel um, there in Haifa. Uh, and a shrine was built around them. A lot of times when you uh, look at Baha'i literature, you may see a building with a gold dome. That is the shrine of the Bab. And uh, <clears throat> so that's kind of a spiritual center as well. Uh, the, the Haifa area with the Shrine of the Bab, and the Akka area with the Shrine of Baha'u'llah. In addition to that, the Baha'i Administrative Center uh, has been built up there in Haifa. So kind of across the street from the Shrine of the Bab is the seat of the Universal House of Justice, the organization that guides the Baha'i world and other administrative bodies, uh, which are set in this beautiful, beautiful garden setting, you have these mo monumental white marble buildings surrounded by gardens. Uh, a lot of people who have visited Israel, if they've gone to the northern part of Israel, they've almost all seen the Baha'i buildings uh, on Mount Carmel there, because that's a, a central draw for the, uh, for the tourist industry in northern Israel. <clears throat> and I had the bounty of being able to work there for seven years. Um, as a civil engineer, they needed somebody to assist with the restoration of some of the historic buildings. And so uh, I had the bounty of uh, doing that task from 1982 until 1989. Most other enduring uh, faith systems have clergy or hierarchy. How does that uh, represent within the Baha'i faith? So this is one thing that's kind of distinctive about the Baha'i faith. Um, we have no clergy because 
the central role of clergy was regarded as um, teaching people about spiritual reality. Um, but now, if you can teach children how to read and write and, you know, impress upon them the importance of study for themselves, then this independent investigation of truth uh, is regarded as being uh, a better step than, uh, you know, having uh, a clergyman that, uh, you know, kind of lectures to everybody. Uh, <clears throat> and the traditional functions of clergy uh, have been kind of broken down and divided up uh, so that, for instance, uh, whether it's a matter of uh, visiting members of the community that uh, need some help or teaching the children's classes or teaching adult classes, um, various administrative tasks um, that can be broken up into smaller pieces and everyone uh, can have a role in uh, one or the other of these tasks. So on the one hand, <clears throat> we might say that there are no clergy in the Baha'i faith. On a, the other hand, uh, you could say maybe that everybody in the Baha'i faith is clergy because uh, everybody is responsible for helping with teaching work, whether it's teaching children or teaching junior youth or youth or, or teaching others who, you know, adults who don't know about the Baha'i faith. Um, so everybody has a role. Um, it's almost never a paid role. Um, so that also eliminates one of the complications that sometimes occurs when you have a religion with clergy. Um, as far as administration, <clears throat> we do have uh, in communities that have nine or more adult members, we elect what's called a local spiritual assembly. Uh, those nine members make decisions for the Baha'i community and guide the Baha'i community. <clears throat> uh, then they come together in, in each country. Uh, members come together to vote for a national spiritual assembly. And the national spiritual assembly does the same sort of uh, guiding and decision-making on a national level, and they all operate under the aegis of the Universal House of Justice uh, in the Holy Land. So, we do have an administrative order. Um, there's almost, you know, the very, very few people who, who uh, have paid positions in that administrative order. It's almost all volunteer work, um, <clears throat> but it does organize and coordinate the Baha'i activities. And then uh, one thing I might add is that um, one thing that's a little bit interesting that the decision-making process is always by groups. It's not by individuals. So that eliminates a lot of the problems that religions have had in the past when you get somebody whose ego gets the better of him and he's driving in one direction or another direction. Um, because when you make Decisions in a consultative uh, group process, uh, it, it tends to take the edges off and uh, I think tends to lead to better decision making. So uh, that's, that's, I think, one unique aspect of the Baha'i faith. You know, sometimes the uh, Baha'is, particularly at the World Center, they might get uh, requests from reporters, we want to speak to the leader of the Baha'i faith. And, uh, well, there is no one leader person. This is all, everything is by, by groups, whether it's the members of the House of Justice, that's nine people, or the nine members of the National Spiritual Assembly, or locally, nine members of the local assembly. Um, no one leader. So, um, it's a little bit different in that regard. 
Jay, many of um, the world's enduring spiritual and religious traditions have very special days that they commemorate and celebrate. An example for ex is uh, the Christian um, holiday of Christmas, for example. In the Buddhist tradition, they, many Buddhists celebrate the, uh, the birth of the Buddha or the death of the Buddha. In the Baha'i faith, are there any holidays that are special and celebrated, any days that are especially commemorated? Yes, we certainly do have our set of holidays, uh, <clears throat> primarily associated with uh, the two messengers. Uh, the Declaration of the Bab uh, commemorates the time on May 22nd, 23rd, when the Bab first announced that this new revelation had dawned. Uh, back in, in 1844, um, so that's yeah, May 22nd, May 23rd. Um, the Declaration of Baha'u'llah, which occurred in 1863, is a 12-day period in April, from April 21st until May 2nd, uh, that commemorates when he announced uh, his revelation. Uh, that is considered the most holy festival. Um, we, I mentioned earlier, we celebrate the twin birthdays. The Bab and Baha'u'llah were born, you know, on the first and second day of the lunar year. So those two days are celebrated together each year uh, in the fall. It jumps around a little bit because it, because it's lunar based instead of solar based, but uh, they're celebrated together. Um, and of course, a more somber holiday is the Ascension of Baha'u'llah, which was uh, May 29th, 1892 and the martyrdom of the Bob, which was July 9th, uh, 1850. So those, uh, those are the main Baha'i holy days. You have been listening to our series, Open Heart Conversations, offering dialogues from the world's religions and spiritual traditions, recorded here at the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. Please visit us in Manhattan or online at upspiritualarts.org. Until next time. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.